Anybody in here get distracted while you're driving ever? Ooh, a couple. Okay. Um, anybody in here, uh, if you're distracted while you're driving, does be, do bad things happen? No. <laughs> Whatever, Shane. <laughs> so for me, here's one of the things that, that I get in trouble with, or I, I can, I, I, I do, I have a strict rule. I, I'm not going to text and drive. I think that's a very dangerous thing. If you do that, please stop. Um, but the, uh, I, I, I can just talking and driving. It's not dangerous. I'm not going to wreck. I'm not going to anything like that. What I'll do is I'll miss my destination. Anybody ever done that? All the time. If I'm talking, especially if it's something I'm really into, I will miss it. And my wife has this really lovely habit. Um, she's, it's a fun game for her. She lets me keep going. So she knows I missed it. She knows I drove right past Chick-fil-A, but she wants to see where I end up before I, before, and so I'll be like in Georgia and I'm like, what are we doing here? She's like, oh, I don't know. We were talking. I was going to see what happened. I'm like, that, we got to turn around now. This is ridiculous. Because I just got so distracted by what I was talking about, so distracted by things, and I'll just miss it entirely. I'll be somewhere, that, I'll be on the other side of town for no reason because I was talking and distracted by things. Today, Peter is going to challenge his listeners to change their direction, to change where they're going, to change the, the, the path that they're going on because of what Christ has done. So we're going to be in Acts chapter three again. This is Peter's second sermon. And just like his first one, this has taken me a lot longer than one sermon to, to get through. But we're in uh, uh, Acts chapter three, starting in verse 17. Acts three seventeen. I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that, this, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Okay. So he says, Hey guys, I know you acted in ignorance. Now here's what I'm thinking. This is me uh, putting, this is not in the word. This is me trying to immerse myself in here and feel it and think through it. I'm thinking as Peter's giving the sermon and talking through the fact that there, these people are responsible for Christ's death. I'm sure that many of them were saying, even, maybe even trying to speak up to him and say, we didn't know. Anybody ever use that excuse? I didn't know. I had no idea. Anybody ever said something uh, and, that you wish you could take back because you didn't know all the information? Done that. I, I do that on a regular basis. <laughs> but I think some of them were saying, we didn't know he was the Christ. It didn't seem right. He wasn't a king. He didn't take over. He didn't, he died. We, you know, he, was, he, he was defeated. He wasn't what we thought he was supposed to be. We didn't know. And I think uh, to me, I just see Peter addressing that saying, yeah, I get it. You acted in ignorance. And that what that means is to carry out some activity without having all the requisite information. He acknowledges this, their ignorance, but ignorance does not excuse sin. So even if we're ignorant, that does not mean that our sin is not sin. I want to read something in Romans 1, 18 through 23. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of, an immortal, of, the, of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. 
See, our God is revealed in his creations. Humans are created with the purpose of worshiping God. Did you know that we're created that way? We are created with a purpose of worshiping God, of knowing who he is. We are created to, to, to live a life of worship and acknowledgement of him. But so many people reject God and instead waste their worship on created things. You see, here's the thing. We all worship something. Everybody. Every human on, wor- on earth worships something. The question is, who or what are you living in worship of? Are you living in worship of God? Or are you exchanging the worship that God deserves to worship something he created? Are you worshiping other stuff? So Paul, inside of uh, his, in, in Romans, takes away the excuse of saying, well, because I didn't know I'm not responsible. We are responsible to worship God because he is revealed everywhere. So even ignorance is not an excuse not to, uh, it does not excuse our sins. He says, even your rulers acted in ignorance. This is one who rules or governs. I love this. This could be easy to breeze past to say, okay, yeah, the rulers too are, were ignorant in their actions. But I think this is uh, an important point. Peter is placing the entire audience on the same footing as their leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes. In this, he is calling the, those leaders ignorant sinners just like the common people, and that would have floored people. Does that make sense? Because nobody would have accepted that, right? The Pharisees wanted to walk around all the time saying, we're better than everybody. We're following the rules better than anyone is. They clearly wanted to say, we're the ones doing the right things. The Sadducees would have looked and said, you know, they, they, all of the leadership always looked down on the common people, and they said, we're better than you. You're, if you sin less, maybe you can eventually look like me, but you don't yet. What Peter does right here is he says, no, 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 they're ignorant sinners just like you. But the second thing he does is he's connecting those in the crowd with those that had a more direct role in Christ's death, making sure that no one felt sinless. So it's not just bringing the leadership down. It's also bringing the common people into the the responsibility for Christ's death. Because some of them might have said, well, I wasn't even in Israel for Passover. My mom was sick, so I had to stay home. And he said, no, no, no. They and you acted in ignorance, but that doesn't change that Christ died for sinners and you're one of them. It says, but what God foretold by the mouth of prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So he foretold this. This means to announce openly what is going to happen in the future. God foretold this by the words of his prophets that he inspired by his spirit. We see this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So you see, God's words in the prophets, so if you read the prophets in the Old Testament, do you know who wrote that? It might have been by a human author's hand, but who inspired each and every word? The Holy Spirit. God's word is his word and we cannot have a low view of scripture. It is God's word to us and it is authoritative and sufficient to make us who he wants us to be. Nothing else is. So these are these prophets. These are, uh, God spoke his word to us through men that he inspired and God's word is still speaking to us today and he is still using men to preach the word today. So the word Christ this is an important one. This is uh, in Greek. This would be Christon. 
Um, and it's a, a synonymous word for Messiah. It's one of the titles for Jesus as the Messiah. So Jesus is eternally the Son and the Trinity, right? The, God has existed as the Trinity for all eternity. There's always been the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existing as three persons, one God for forever. But the eternally begotten Son was sent from his place in heaven, not to condemn, which would be fair, but to redeem, which is grace incarnate. Jesus came and did what we could not. He rejected sin for his entire human life. Then he was tortured and murdered to die as a sacrifice for us, the ones who would not choose not to sin. He was anointed to do this beautiful act of grace. His Christ was sent to suffer. Jesus' suffering was foretold by, by, uh, by the prophets. And uh, there's one, if you'd like to, I'm not going to read it today, but Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12 um, talks about the suffering servant. So Isaiah spoke of Jesus who was going to come and was going to suffer to redeem others. You see, Jesus had to suffer because the punishment for sin is suffering the wrath of God ultimately in eternal death. And Jesus suffered that for us. Verses 19 through 21. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So he says here, and this is the, the, the title of this message, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. I think I defined this a week ago or two, but I want to say it again. Repent means to change one's way of life as the result of complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. We're about to see uh, in this very passage that repentance is a gift and not something we can do ourselves, right? If you could change your life on your own, Jesus would be unnecessary. Does that make sense? If I could repent without Christ, then I wouldn't need him. Christ is the only one that gives us the ability to repent. But he says, repent and turn back. That word turn back means to turn around or away from something. This describes what it means to repent. It means to change your entire course from walking in one direction to walking in the complete opposite one. So it means if I'm walking this direction towards something else that I'm worshiping, walking towards worshiping myself and stuff and things. And then Christ reveals himself and I see, oh my goodness, I am a sinner. I am lost. I am broken. That I turn around and walk this way. I change everything about what I'm doing. It changes me. Now this repentance, it does start, the first act of repentance does happen right after you're saved, right? You start this change of life because he makes you a new creation. But is that the last time you need to repent? I hope not. Who in here has sinned in the past week? Me too. It must continue happening throughout our entire lives because the flesh continually draws us. Anybody have a desire for something you shouldn't have a desire for? Christ can quickly become quiet in our lives when we pursue other stuff, can't he? Anybody ever gone through a stage of life where Jesus was a little bit quiet? It's not that he wasn't speaking, 
but your ears were a little turned off to them. I've been there. It's easy to get there. And that happens when we stop living in repentance. When was the last time you turned away from everything that wasn't Christ? When was the last time you said, Christ, I'm chasing all these things and they're probably idols in my life. There are things I'm worshiping. When was the last time you said, I'm sorry. And you stood up and turned around and walked towards Christ. It says, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Sins is wrongdoing or being evil. How often do you admit, oh, I've, I've asked this before, but I like uh, doing some of these things regularly. Who in here struggles with admitting you're wrong? <clears throat> you're wrong right now for those of you not raising your hands. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of us like to struggle with admitting that our wrong is evil, don't we? Now, other people's wrong, we'll look at that and say, that's evil. That's terrible. I can't stand what's going on in their lives. And we can be quickly disgusted by the sin we see in somebody else while living very happily with the sin in our own hearts. And that's not how Christ has called us to live. He's called our sin, our sin, your sin, my sin is evil. It's so easy to soften our own desires for sin while demonizing the desires of others. What sins are unrepentant in your life today? He says that they're going to be blotted out. This means to cause something to cease by obliterating any evidence. Is that not a great definition? To cause something to cease to exist by obliterating any evidence. I love that because we can't do it, right? If I were to take something, if I had a sheet of paper and I wanted to make it not exist anymore and I burned it, would that mean that there's no evidence left? No, there's going to be ashes left. There's going to be things left. I can't obliterate all evidence. I can't make some, I can't make matter cease to exist. Do you know what Jesus can do? He can take your sins and make them cease to exist. And only Christ can do this. This is what all of us need, isn't it? So we have to turn to him. So then that we do this so that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus. You see, here's the thing. Uh, when you got saved, did your life, who in here, did your life become easy and simple and nothing ever went wrong again? Anybody that you're experiencing Christianity? Uh, mine either. It can be difficult. In fact, being a Christian, can it be harder than not being a Christian? Sure can. I have had many times in my life that I didn't think that I had a pressing need for relief. But that didn't change my actual need for it because life is hard because we're living in a broken world. Christian life is very hard because we're living in a sinful, broken world. We see this in Luke 9, 21 through 25. And he strictly charged, them, charged and commanded them to tell this to no one saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to, the, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? We're called to daily suffering, daily taking up our crosses, which, uh, which makes no sense to the world around us. And it means rejecting everything which is deemed, uh, deemed a necessity by the world around us. 
It says walking away from the world, rejecting the world's riches, rejecting the worship of stuff and taking up a cross of, I have died to my old self and I'm living as a new creation in Jesus. And you walk in that every day. That is hard, isn't it? So guess what we get to live in though? A hope that Christ will come back and make things right. We long for this presence because life is wrong without Christ's presence. Everywhere we can see the stain of sin and we see that we are stained by it. We crave a world that's clean and pure. When you suffer through loss and hardship and hurt, do you not wish the world was made right again? Times like that remind us that we are sitting here waiting for Christ to make things right again. Romans 8, 18 through 25 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groaned inwardly as we wait, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, we get to have hope and wait for Christ to return and make things right. To end suffering, to end sickness, to end sin. And give us the world that it was made to be, to make things right. That's the hope we get to have in Christ. But right now, Christ is in heaven until he, he returns. He's currently sitting at the right hand of God advocating for us. We see this in 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Do you know that's what Jesus is doing right now? He is sitting at the right hand of God advocating for you. He is your lawyer in heaven saying, no, no, no. That sin obliterated gone, destroyed, covered completely by my blood, and it no longer exists. So while we have an accuser being Satan, trying to condemn us in every possible way, we have Jesus Christ saying, no, that sin that was on me, I took that to the cross. It is covered. Let's read verses 22 through 25. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your, brother, from your brother's. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. So Peter's referring to Deuteronomy 18 where Moses prophesies about Christ's coming. He clarifies what it means to be the people of God. It has nothing to do with your nationality, your ethnicity, your wealth, or your so-called righteousness. You are God's children when you are saved by his Christ. 
Samuel's prophecy can be found in 2 Samuel 17, where God promises to establish David's kingdom forever. This is done in Jesus Christ, whose kingdom is not of this world. Peter is telling this large crowd that they were promised the Messiah who would obliterate the memory of their sin. And he came to earth to take their, to take their punishment for sin and to give them his goodness. And he didn't just come for the Israelites, right? Because Abraham's promise was to the whole world, a blessing for the whole world. He came to them first because God's first covenant was, was with them. But his plan was always for the blessing of his salvation to be, to be spread to the nations. And we're still called to carry this to the nations. I think it's very easy to forget that God has called us to bring the gospel to the world, isn't it? Because we struggle with bringing the gospel to our family, to our friends, to our work, much less people that might be different than us, right? Shame on us. God has called us to bring the gospel out. I'm very excited. I've been talking, I, I, I didn't warn him, but uh, I've been talking to Isaac Beatty a lot lately about some stuff. And one of the things we've been talking about is the fact that evangelism must be something we begin doing more here at Klingon Ridge. Amen. And if that means a program, then it's going to be a program. But the fact is we need to do whatever it takes to bring the gospel to our community because people are losing this battle, Right. No one can win the battle against sin on their own. And some of them don't understand the gospel of Christ. And we do shame on us for not bringing it to them. God's called us to be a, pre, a people who bring the gospel out. Yes, we come here to be, uh, to be brought up, to be discipled, to be trained up, to be equipped. But we do that so that then we go out and tell others. I want to read verse 26 as we wrap up. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your own wickedness. So Acts follows the path of Christ's salvation offered to the lost. He first reaches out to the Jews who had been given the first covenant. But thank God he desires for the world to know him. But he says to bless you by turning each one of you from your wickedness. That word turning, it's the same root word that comes from the word uh, uh, repent. And it means to cause someone to turn away from a previous belief. This is, where, uh, this, this is where this doctrine is made very clear. God gives us repentance and salvation. We can't change ourselves. My responsibility is not to change me. My responsibility is to believe in Jesus. Believe in him as Savior. Believe in him as Lord then he changes me and I get to walk in, in repentance. Now, do I have choices in repentance from that moment forward? Of course I do. Am I responsible for them? Absolutely. I can choose to live uh, in, in all kinds of stuff that I don't need to. I have done that as a safe person. I have to choose to then continue living in repentance. That's what sanctification is. It says turning from your wickedness. That word means an evil, wicked nature. I think people come to church come to church services with a, a couple of different attitudes. I think a lot of people come thinking I'm good and I have no need of change. So entertain me. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and uh, maybe you don't have to raise your hands, but has anybody ever walked in with that attitude? I have. I've come in thinking I'm in need of no change. I'm doing good. I'm living right. And I hope this is good for me. I hope the songs are songs I want. I hope the message has something I think is actually funny or entertaining or engaging. 
and it's all about me. I think the second group of people that walk in come in thinking, I am awful. And there's nothing that can change that. If any of the people in here knew what I did last night, I wouldn't even be allowed to sit in this room. And nobody can fix it for me. I'm stuck in this and nothing will ever change about it. I want to say this. Both of those attitudes are wrong. You're not good. No one in here is good. The only good in you is what Christ has put there. And you are also not hopeless. As Christ's goodness is greater than all evil. And there is nothing that he can't walk with you into victory. Nothing. So none of us walk in here good, but none of us walk in here hopeless. We walk in here with hope in a Christ who saves and keeps saving as we walk with him. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? The son took on flesh to do what we could not. He lived a sinless life and he offers to give you his goodness while taking all of your sin and brokenness. But you must believe and accept this gift. If you've never done that, I beg you to believe and accept the salvation that Jesus Christ offers today. Secondly, repentance is not something we do once and are done with. Church, what sins do you need to repent of today? Will you do it? God, I beg of you, help us to have a high view and to remember what you did when you sent Jesus to take on flesh as he left his throne in heaven. He took on everything that makes us human, the the hardship, the difficulty, the temptation, everything that we have failed at, all of us. Christ, you took that on and then you did what we could not. You rejected sin every single day. And you didn't do it just to prove that you could. You did that to live the perfect life, to be a sacrifice for us. Because then you were murdered on the cross and you decided to take the sin of the world on yourself. Suffering the Father's wrath for us. Christ, let us accept that gift. Lord, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that you would save them, that your spirit would draw them and they couldn't ignore. Lord, for those in here who are Christians, I forgive us for thinking we're beyond the gospel. Forgive us for thinking we don't need to be reminded regularly of what you did. And let us walk in repentance because you died to give us that repentance. Let us forsake sin to chase you. No matter what the world might think that costs us. We love you so much. Amen. Please stand and respond however God leads you.